cut me, John. Cut me, John. John is opening a package with an exacto knife. Oh. Barely. And it's either, it's oh. either going to be the package or his Careful. vein. It's, it's filled with those popcorn peanuts. Oh. I'll kill you! I'll stab you! Sorry for that interference. Uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. We open box. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're opening up a box from our. Uh, what is that from? Nothing. Can I have a fungi? Fungi. Called it a, fu- a fungi. A fungi. There's only one fungi left. A fungi. Oh. Whoa. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he just throws them away. What is that? Mince? Oh my God. Oh, those are good. Those oh, are Dewey's Bakery. Oh, Joseph. Oh my God. Hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. Oh. Shortbread cookies. You know how Sammy Davis Jr. says hot cocoa? Sure. Hot cocoa. Oh, yeah. Shortbread. Oh, no. What, you taking those home? No, but I know you don't want them here because they're covered in powder sugar. And you know. Crumbs everywhere. There's going to be crumbs. These are crumbs that are crumbs. Which have little plates under it. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Film Photography Podcast, the podcast about food. Food. Vinyl. Scott Walker. Leslie Lazenby. Thank you. I've got food in my mouth. Mark O'Brien. Hey there. John Fidelli. Mark Dalzell. Hello. Matt Marash. Oh, hello. And I'm Mike. I'm Mikey Mike. Let's open up with a letter. Is there a letter? What are you waiting for? I'm talking (laughs) damn food. I can't. I'm doing my show. Got a brownie in the mouth. Every time she takes a letter. That's a good one. To the gang. Thank you. Hey, Matt. To the gang. Hey, whoa. That's a great, excellent letter. Uh, this is audience participation, so be ready. Mm. Those are interesting, right? You got a message from Miles Lamont. Hi, Miles. Hey, FPP. Yeah. I started listening to the podcast back in September, and I love it while working. I started with all of 2018's episodes, and now between new releases, I'm listening to the archives, currently at episode 35. I've been shooting film for 14 months or so, and in the time I've picked up the following... Two AE1s, OM2N, OM1, two Nikon FE2s, and a Nikon FM. Hmm. I really want to pick up one system to focus my money on. Which film, just all the film. Yeah. Okay. Which one would you all pick, and what are some recommended lenses for that system? Again, the cameras are AE1, OM2N, OM1, and Nikon FE2. Nikon FM. No question. No question. We'll do the round table. <laughs> I think this might create some live. Oh, see, ah. just did it. Just did get us talking. I think this might Pitness. create some lively conversation between the brand loyalists on the show. Keep up the great work, Miles. Ooh boy. Oh, well, since I'm right next to Matt, I will start. I think Miles, you need without a doubt to pick yourself up a Canon T60, <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you why. <laughs> T60. It's light. It's easy to use. It's aperture priority. It is. The black sheep of the Canon family. As a matter of fact, it's not even made by Canon. What In makes fact, it's a goat, which, which makes it great because people who don't like Canon 
They'll be like, no, you're shooting with the cannon. And you'll be like, no, it's not. It's Casina. We fed us. Wow. Leslie? Well, not, I was... Not, because not, nothing's more respected than cannon than Casina. Not, not F you, Miles. <laughs> F you, those people that are making fun of your T-60. <laughs> what I'm making fun of. Leslie. Leslie would say the Olympus OM-2N because it's even... Lighter than the T sixty, and it's even oh. easier than the. He's already got one of those. No, no, that's no, what he's, he's. He's saying which should he, should he which should he money key? Into? He wants to kind of know which to keep which and to focus dig his on. Heels in on. Yeah. So definitely the the uh, OM two N gives you a little bit of automation, gives you an incredibly accurate metering system. What kind of meter system is incredibly that? Accurate. <laughs> incredibly accurate. Incredibly <laughs> accurate. <laughs> And when you go into the manual mode, the screen changes to plus and minus metering. This is an automatic camera, which is so cool because that's a good traditional screen that you see with a traditional manual camera. Too light, too dark, just right. You got it. Too light, too dark, just right. All of the Derev film that I tested was on an OM2N. I haven't used my OM2 in a long time. And what an absolute joy. Lenses, 50 millimeter. 28 prime, maybe a short telly like a 100 or a 135. You got the world in your camera bag. OM2N. Mark? What, what Nikons did he say he had again? He had the FE2 E2. and an FM. Okay. Not an FM2, well, but an FM. The, what better? Thank you. The FM2. The FM, not the FM2, right? That's correct. A straight FM. A straight FM. Well, I happen to have a straight FM here with me that I brought from Ann Arbor. And it's well, my, send it to him. One of my favorite cameras. The FE2, however, is a little bit more automated, and it will probably be great if you like shooting aperture priority. Um, it's also very lightweight. It's probably about the same weight as, a, as an FM, so there's not a whole lot of difference between the two in terms of how uh, much space they take up and their weight. And their usability. I would say if you're going to keep either one of those, the FM will always work with or without a battery. The FE2 will require a battery to work. Uh, The FM is a pretty rock-solid camera. It's up to you in terms of which ones you think would fit your shooting style and all that. As far as lenses go, you can't really do worse than a 50mm F2 standard normal lens on the Nikon. I say, why the F2? Uh, and not that 1.8 or the 1.4. F2 has a really flat plane of focus. It's used a lot for copy for copying materials. It's been, that lens design has been in use since the very first Nikon Fs rolled out, and it's a very mature and and easily obtainable lens. The other ones I'd recommend on that would be, um, if you like a zoom, try finding that 28 to 80 zoom that Nikon made. Um, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good one. But I would say, if you like uh, standard, uh, standard lenses, I would go for the 85-18 or the 105-2.8, depending on what you like shooting. Wide angle, the 24 millimeter. I think that's their one of their best uh, wide angle lenses. So that's all cool, Mark. But he's investing in that Canon FD, so <laughs> he'll make some notes and then pass he, along. He already bought a T60 and then fast forward through all this. Yeah, I think I think we we have a stalemate. I mean, we have one vote. Oh, John, do you have a vote? Oh uh, yeah, I never heard of none of them cameras. Throw them all away and get a plastic fantastic. Oh, I thought you were going to X700. Oh, okay, you got to be careful with those crumbs on those. That guy. I like my F2. <laughs> oh, please. You with the I F2. Like F2. F2. F-U. 
<laughs> Here we go. Down the Nikon uh, rabbit hole. Well, I, I yeah. I, I would say that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the F3, with the exception of the fact that it doesn't have a hot shoe on it, which is hot annoying. Shoe. But uh, otherwise, I love the F3. There have been, like Mark was saying, there's thousands of lenses made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They all fit the F3. Every every Nikon lens ever made before, you know, before G-Lens. 99 um, will fit it. They're easy, they're plentiful, they're cheap. Go with, the, yeah, go with an F3. Sorry, Mike. Matt, Matt if, says if you're, an 8x10. Oh, Matt's taking yeah, the throw it, No, if, go big or go if, home. if you're talking about lens selection, I'm with, I'm with the rest of the crew. Go with the, go with the Nikon F mount. If you're going for cost-effective and as small as possible, though, Leslie, she nailed it. Those Thank three you. lenses, that 135, that 28, that 50, perfect. I think it's firmly in the Nikon camp if you want selection. Nikon cameras have taken some of the world's greatest pictures. More professionals use Nikons than all other 35mm cameras combined. But you don't have to be a pro to own a Nikon. This Nikon FE is as easy to use as the 35mm SLRs amateurs buy. And you can own one for the cost of a few extra rolls of film. Nikon. We take the world's greatest pictures. The Nikon FE. Now shoot-hand priced this low. For cameras today to shoot your way, it's Shootan. Shootan. For every camera need. Shootan Camera, downtown on Wacker Drive at LaSalle, now has the Nikon everyone's been waiting for, the programmed Nikon FG. At the touch of the shutter release, the FG's microcomputer brain automatically calculates the correct lens opening and shutter speed simultaneously. It all happens in a fraction of a second, and it all adds up to picture-perfect photography. For more creative photography, the FG can be used as an aperture priority automatic or with full manual control. Light-emitting diodes in the FG's viewfinder tell you what shutter speed you're operating at. If you're under or overexposed, the LEDs blink and a warning signal sounds. The FG's operating modes are further enhanced by a wide variety of Nikon accessories. Lenses, filters, flashes, motor drives, they're all part of the world's most comprehensive photographic system. And with them, your creative capabilities are endless. Shootan offers the FG, its attachments, and expert advice on how to use them to achieve the effects you want. The Nikon FG, now at this low Shootan price. Let Shootan help you enjoy Nikon photography today. Shoot with the best, your cost is less. It's Shootan Shootan for every camera need. Camera, downtown on Wacker Drive at LaSalle. Hey, we're back. There's uh, a couple of these little cult cameras you know out about there. This cult camera? That uh, yeah. Mini Lux was I one, and I hadn't quite graduated up to the Mini Lux No Zoom. And I hear rumor that Matt has, and he's going to be talking about that later on, which is very cool. But also. It's just amazing what some of these cameras bring. Another one that comes to mind is the Yashica T4. Oh, it's awesome. I'm going to tell you, this little, this little black piece of plastic, unassuming camera doesn't really look like it should have ever been raised up to cult status. Made by Kyrocera, it has. It's a Kyrocera Yashica T4. There are a few versions of this, and I'm not talking about... Mike's version. <laughs> it's called the Caputo the T4. Ca- the Caputo T4. Uh, it fetches uh, $2 <laughs> on eBay. Two whole bucks. Yashica with a K. Yashica with a yeah. uh, Then there's a, a non-Yashica version of this. If 
someone doesn't maybe hasn't researched it well enough, it might slip it in for a cheap price. Kyrosera introduced one themselves called the Slim T, which sounds kind of like it's a rap singer. Hey, Slim T. Totally. Yeah. So I got beautiful. <laughs> I got rhymes for days. <laughs> <laughs> I got rhymes for hours. But uh, but the Yushika version comes as the T4 Super, the Super Scope, also the Safari. There's a Safari version. It's really very, very unassuming. Small, black plastic, mm-hmm. 35 millimeter, non-zoom, 35 millimeter lens for, as far as wideness, 3.5, not even a great 2.8 or faster. Built-in flash, typical overrides, a lot of those around. Eleven and a, About 11 and a half inches minimum focus, pretty darn normal, a lot of those around. <coughs> Takes a 1.2.3 battery, pretty typical. Autofocus is an active 3-point infrared. There's a spot in the center and two on each side for comparison. DX codes your film. It's what I call actually a consumer or a soccer momish camera. But soccer moms use them. Point and shoot. I don't have to think about anything. Put the film in, close the back door, take some pictures. Well, that's how they do it with their phone now. But So there's got to be something that makes this camera bring $400 on eBay what? any day of the week. And I'm talking that's an average. They'll slip it in, maybe you buy it now because they're desperate for 300 and or somebody will hold off, and they've got the box yet, and it'll go for $500 consistently. Visually, you see this camera at Goodwill, or as I say, the not-so-Goodwill, <laughs> with the $3 day-close sticker on it. That's just what you expect to see. It's just that unassuming. But if we look at the features again, yeah, it has that 35-millimeter lens, 3.5 lens, but it is a Tessar by Carl Zeiss. Mm-hmm. It is a T-series. It is multi-coated, and it's sharp. And I'll, I'll reference an example of this in just, just a minute if I get the chance. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> DX codes DX codes from 50 to 3200. Mm, and here's something that Mike ran into recently. I think this was with the psychedelic furs, right? Yes. Um, you had a camera that shutter speed topped out at five one five hundred. I don't know. It just didn't give you fast enough. The lens didn't force it into giving you a fast enough shutter speed. This one does go from one was, full second. It was the SBO um, Pentax. The Pentax. SBO 24 extra wide. Gotcha. And the shutter speed. Yes, it t- the shutter speed topped out at a ridiculously low. This is this is like a shutter priority camera. It chooses the fastest shutter speed first mm. in its little uh, brain in there, its little computer brain. But it does max out at one seven hundredth of a second. So it's a little bit faster. It's a little bit bigger range than a typical. The auto flash sometimes will fire when you're in broad daylight if it detects that your subject is backlit. Oh. Mm. Fills it in very nicely. It has a very subtle little focus lock so that you can put the center portion in the viewfinder on your subject that is not centered, lock it in, and recompose. It has an infinity mode. What do you use the infinity mode for? Well, um. when you can't focus on infinity because it's solid sky or you're shooting through glass. The infrared focusing bounces off the glass and you're completely off. Or if you want to fire this up, because it does do one full second, shoot some fireworks with it. Mm-hmm. Put it in infinity mode because that focus doesn't happen until it happens and then it's gone. The version that I have is called the Super Scope model. And this is this is pretty cool. It has two viewfinders. What? The Ever Classic stick your eye through the whole viewfinder. Mm-hmm. What? It has a waist level finder on the top. Oh. So I can 
What? Do yeah. what you do with waist level finders. I can hold oh it goodness. over my head and shoot the crowd. I could shoot the psychedelic furs with this right over everybody's head. Oh, is that the psychedelic furs reference? That's the psychedelic oh. fur. Well, that's the, wasn't it the furs mm-hmm. that you were at? Yeah. That, I shot them with an inept camera. And they looked all furry. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but the, the psychedelic, but the psychedelic biggest blurs. No, <laughs> psychedelic blurs in October. Uh huh. But the biggest reason that this is considered the cult camera is a person rather than the camera itself. Rather than the features, a person made this famous. Crickets, damn crickets. Are you done cricketing? Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a smartphone or an iPhone? I meant a Samsung. Or a significantly dumber iPhone. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Terry Richardson was shooting yeah. portraits and oh, fashion assignments for yeah. Harper's Bazaar. And they were very notable assignments. Not only people like Lady Gaga and at the time President Barack Obama. And I mentioned that it does have the priority of shooting the fastest shutter speed. So it's really quite good for portraits like that because if it goes the fastest shutter speed, it's going to open the lens up big and that's going to throw the background out of focus for you. I, I don't know if I could have done it. I, I'm going to show up at this big ass assignment. Yeah. Hi, Mr. President. You know, and I've got my little black plastic point and shoot mm-hmm. camera. I, I just don't know where the respect could have possibly come from. I couldn't have done it. To be honest, I couldn't have done it. He just shot exclusively with that camera? That was... They have done stories about him just shooting with this camera. And then they did stories about what is this camera, and that's where it got so darn out of hand. A lot of Terry's look ended up being that really on-camera, on-axis. Even if he shot with, like, big lights, he'd always shoot them on-axis to make it look like it was shot with the point-and-shoot type camera. Mm -hmm. Flash look, yeah, so, Leslie, uh, a long, long time ago, one of those walked into Midwest Photo as a donation, because, and we didn't check the bag. It was just in a Kodak point-and-shoot bag, and it was the T4. It was a champagne T4 Super. The champagne? Mm-hmm. That did not even come up in my research that that was around. That was a very limited edition. It was, yeah. The interesting thing about that one, it was weather-sealed. Is this one weather-sealed? Yes, this particular one is, and it says weatherproof on it. That's part of the, this is a T4 Super Weatherproof Super Scope Edition. That's just a really cool thing. Not many of those point-and-shoots are, so not only it does it have a nice layer of foam, but it has that extra little weatherproof seal when you it crack does. it It does. It has a rubber O-ring in it. Mm-hmm. So the waist-level viewer, does that fetch more money on the bed? Because no, it, the black body fetches more money. The black body, yeah, usually, usually. Well, you mean well. This only came in black, except for that one small edition of being champagne. Yeah. Anything that says T four brings money. Yep. Having that that viewfinder and being the weatherproof. That oh, helps. see, look, I can put it on there, and everything's fine. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. If I don't want to shell out four hundred bucks for something like this, yes, there are some options. Caputo T four. No, the Olympus <laughs> Epic. Yes. The, oh, my goodness. Epic is weatherproof, yep. and it's especially epic. in the champagne. And it's a 2.8 lens, mm-hmm. and it's small. Shoots at four seconds to one one-thousandth of a second. <clears throat> four a little seconds. bit even broader range. Wow. But i got to tell you, this is the one he picked up, and this is the famous one, because you're not ever paying $400 for an Olympus Epic. No. I have thoroughly enjoyed now this is not my camera this camera belongs to fpp that's right and mike <laughs> sent it to me because i wanted to try it out 
So now it stays back at FPP. But I loved using it. The last roll I shot was on one of the ugliest, grayest days of Ohio in more ways than one. Because I was driving home and I hit a big old owl and wrecked my car. Kind of wrecked up my car. I didn't wreck me. But anyway, it was so gray. It was flat. No clouds, anything. And I'm driving along and I see a uh, drive-in movie theater. Nobody around, so I drive in. I drive around back and I'm taking some pictures. These are kind of fun. I get them, process them. I think I did it on, I think there again, it was um, uh, the new film, the Derev Jaeger edition, which will, I believe, be the Pan 400. Yes, that's right. And scanned my first neg, and the first thing I thought was, oh my God, these are so sharp. Edge to edge sharp. No vignetting. These are sharp. I have done nothing to this negative yet. The reputation that the lens has holds up. So the next time you're in at the Starvation Army or the Not-So-Goodwill, and you see one of these, here come the letters, right? <laughs> don't, especially don't hesitate if it's got that Dayglo $3 sticker on it. Yeah. Well, well, well worth the money. Fantastic little camera. Still Fan- still $400 fantastic. I'm not so sure. I do really like my little Epic and my little uh, Roly Prego Micron. Sweet camera, though. Thanks for uh, letting me try it out, Mike. Yes, you're very welcome. Thank you, Leslie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for letting me try it out, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's a quick, quick uh, uh, shout-out to some of the schools that the FPP has been donating to. Ms. Allison Owens, she's at the Richmond Community High School. In Richmond, Virginia, they just got a large batch of cameras in 2019. Yay. And then uh, this one said, <laughs> thank you, John. Yeah. This one's delivered by Leslie. Yeah. This went to Melinda Weber. <laughs> at the Don't pic- get your hair cut at the eclipse. Oh, at Pickerington North. Pickerington High School North. Yeah. Pickerington, Ohio. Uh, Leslie, what was that experience like? That was the great gray day. Oh, was So it? I brought this camera along and shot with it. Yes, the great gray day. They were very grateful for their cameras. I was, I was a little early. Uh, uh, they thought I was from Midwest. <laughs> yeah, but that's because maybe not even a week no, earlier I had visited... Oh. To talk to their, uh, yeah. their class about shooting. And, Mike, we can play the little audio spot with Melinda that I got of that. Get out oh, of wonderful. town. Yeah. Really? Now, yeah. You have Probably. an audio spot? Yeah, I got them here. All right. Probably what was fun, here though, was when I, when I got there in the class, <laughs> they were uh, grading test papers. So I got to sit at her desk. And the questions were pretty, pretty awesome that, that was on this test of what they were teaching in the class. And this particular test was on darkroom technique and darkroom use. So that was kind of fun. For a high and school, they have a sweet darkroom. I mean, it's, it's very much like what we had in Finley. Anyway, I got Melinda's cameras delivered and then um, headed home to my other adventures with my T4. <laughs> Matt, what, what is the clip? Introduce the clip. Oh, uh, so I visited to just talk about working with film cameras, why I like film. It's really hard to get – well, I don't think now it is. It's, it's actually cool to like film again, but it's uh, – what, what excites me about film? Is it possible to, to do work and get paid if you shoot with film? So I was just talking to the class about that, and then there was a, a, couple, of, a couple of students. Uh, they, they were just telling us why they like to shoot film. All right. Pickerington North High. I'm here with Miss Melinda Weber. Hi, Melinda. Hi, how are you? So, Melinda, how did you find out about, uh, you know, about FPP or film photography in general? What's your association with it? Well, Dan Yeager told me about it, and I looked into it this year because I have a film class and I needed cameras. So I'm like, okay. I searched on the internet, found it, did some emails, and then got a response, and now I'm just waiting to get cameras. 
Excellent. Now, is this your beginning darkroom class here today or what class was this? This is beginning darkroom. Beginning darkroom. Excellent. And we had, I mean, we had a full, full house. This is pretty cool to see. How many students do you normally have in your darkroom class? We have 22. This is the actually first film intermediate class that we've had. Oh, so these students already have like a little bit of working experience. They've worked with photograms before in the darkroom. This is excellent. Um, so all high school is part of the standard curriculum, and you get how long with them to teach them some darkroom stuff? Well, we have about 45 minutes, and it's one semester. So it's really not enough time, but it gets them a sampling of what it would be like, and hopefully in the future they'd want to come back and do some more. Excellent. Yeah, so we, we went over – well, we tried to get a lot done today. Yeah. I brought in some 35, some medium format. I brought in, of course, the Beast. I brought the 8 by 10 in. We brought some Instax. What do you think resonated the most with the kids? I think the Instax did. Instax, excellent. And I think your talk about the camera, um, it, to me, it looks like the old Browning camera. Mm-hmm. I forget what you call it. Oh, the, the, the Hasselblad I had. Yeah. I think some of the girls, I saw their eyes light up like, yeah, that would look really cool. And I would really like using that camera. Oh, yeah. It's always a hands-on thing. And when you can, we can, you can see yourself with the camera, it does something way different than just seeing yeah. a, a slideshow about I, I everything. I definitely saw some eyes light up on that one. Excellent. Hopefully we got a few more converts. And, you know, uh, what I got most out of the class is they de- there's definitely some hunger to get something different out of their pictures. I saw a lot of cell phones taking pictures of other pictures. So there, there's an interest there. It's just really engaging it and kind of making it click. Mm-hmm, it is. Cool. All right. Any uh, last, uh, any final thoughts for us at the FPP? I just think what you're doing is great. Now that I know you're available, I'm going to think of ways to incorporate you back into the classroom or come up and encourage kids to come up and take classes. I'm even thinking field trip or something. Oh, absolutely. I'm game. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to have to see where this goes, but it's a great opportunity for the students, and I really appreciate you coming out. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Melinda, and hopefully we'll look forward to working with you soon. Cheryl Teagues, as seen through her Olympus OM-10. The OM-10 can see me in many ways. With an Olympus telephoto lens, you can get in this tight. With a wide-angle lens on your OM-10, you can see all of me. Or with the zoom, you can do both. Snap on a flash to see me in a different light. There's even a winder that shoots off several Cheryls per second. And it's amazing how a camera that's part of the system this big is this easy to use. With Olympus OM-10, great shots automatically. Now Mark D is going to talk about the... This is a Voigtlander Bessa. Wait a minute. Haven't we talked about this? Well, we have. That's good. Good, Mike. (laughs) We've talked about the Voigtlander Bessa because they made these cameras for like 30 years. Make sure your mic's on. Yes, please. Okay. Checka, 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 checka. They made these cameras for a good 30 or 40 years. They made about 600,000 of them. But what they did was modify them in a very kind of Soviet manner every year or two and didn't give them a different model name so they were all called Bessa oh Oh. but you have to know exactly which one you have or you have the book that tells you the difference well that's yeah you look them up online and there's a picture of each all 20 different versions of it and you have to narrow down so this one this is the Joe Mama Bessa this is the 1935 (laughs) to 1937 Bessa okay okay Uh, so this was the immediate um, pre-World War II model making um yeah, they were in production from 1929 to 1956. This camera was around in 1935. It was. Also 1936. And 1937. Okay. And you, you don't even know who owned that. It's still around today. That's true. Could have been a silent screen star. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, I guess that's, I suppose that's true. Uh, I mentioned last episode I was I was back up in Ottawa over Christmas, and my mother came out with a big plastic bag and said, "Oh, somebody on the local Facebook swap group had a bunch of cameras they were giving away, so I got you these." Oh wow! And it was a whole bunch of random cameras, and this happened to be in there. Looks and I, clean, and I it's beautiful. And I just happened to have some 120 film on me, like I do. So we went. I went out and shot it that day. She was tickled. That I could use it immediately. Yeah, what I've got here is uh, the best. It's one it's typical 120 folding camera like you would expect to see from Kodak or anybody else. It, it's got a painfully slow 7.7 is the fastest aperture it's got. It has a wide range of shutter speeds. Um, if you consider two to be a range, <laughs> oh, a wide range, it'll do a 25th and a 75th of a second. That's it. That's pretty wide. That's it. Okay. Uh, plus <clears throat> bulb and time, but that's about it. Technically, it's really kind of terrible. The the cool things about it that I like. First of all, I love this feature. It has a flip out trigger on the body. That's pretty cool. So it's very ergonomic to shoot with. Yes. It's a self cocking shutter on the body. Don't see that too often. Um, and then, yeah, it's a very non-American sort of feature to have. It's not for, you know, normally with the Kodak, you have to reach right in there and, and yeah. flick it. And on the inside, Mike, you're going to like this. Um, Pay attention. <gasps> it has a selectable mask. I forgot to bring my mask with me today. It's selectable between 6x9 or 6x4.5. So for thrifty people and for people who want nice, wide right. necks. For people who don't want to have to change film every... Right. 20 minutes. Uncle Joe. Uh, so on the back, you've got two windows for shooting right. either 6.9 or 6.45. Oh, what country do you think this came from? I know for a fact it came from Germany. Uncle Joseph. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> and here you go. You ready? Yeah. Shoots 120 or 620 films. Stop. It was designed to accept both. That's amazing. We should get Sam Sherman on the horn. Hey, Mike. Sam Sherman calling. If anybody still made 620 film, that would be a good thing. But... Well, wait, wait a oh, minute. Oh, wait. Where can you get 620 film? I completely forgot. FPP. Lots of it. Every variety you could think of. If it's available on 120, it's available on 620. Pretty much. So get some. <laughs> if Mike's got the thumbs to so roll So if it. you own this camera. Who's got two thumbs and rolls 620? <laughs> so if you own this camera, even though you're going to spend like twice the amount of money, buy the 620 version. Give you better pictures, right? 620? Please continue. Yeah, so this is the Voigtland. <laughs> Please continue. Um, they, they actually sell for not a huge amount of money, but a surprisingly high amount of money. These go for about $50 on eBay, which is a respectable amount of money. I did shoot a roll through it. I, shoot, I shot a roll of Arista... 100 through it actually over Christmas. The lens on this is pretty clear, but the images came. Yes, Mike. How did you know that it was the 35 to 37 edition? Well, if you get on the the Bessa websites, they they'll have a picture of every single Bessa that was ever made. Okay, and you go through one at a time to find. Okay, mine has this exact viewfinder. Mine has the 7.7. Mine has the chrome trim. So I know that it's the 35. They changed a little bit. This the little the little uh, pop up optical viewfinder here. They stopped doing this after World War II. So anything from 45 to 56 doesn't have this on it anymore. And they start to have a little built-in lens for focusing. So there's certain things that are pre-war or post-war. It's great. If time time traveling actually existed, you'd be able to (laughs) bring a a time-appropriate camera, time-appropriate clothing. You'd be just like Christopher Reeve in Somewhere in Time. Exactly. There'd be that scene. Yo, Edwin, it's your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Land. You know that camera you've been looking to invent? Look you at, have look some ideas. Look at that guy's got. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, they go for about 50 bucks. Uh, oh, yeah, so I said I, I shot a roll through it. It has a very weird look to it. It looks oh. like it's from the 30s. The, it's almost like I'm getting a double image out of it. The lens looks completely clear. I don't think it's become <clears throat> delaminated or anything or separated, but it's odd. It definitely The images definitely have a 30s look. If you look on my Flickr stream, you can see what they look like. Probably because it's not a coated lens. Yeah, it's probably an anastigmat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, but even close up, I, I can show you. It, it definitely had an oddball look to it. Um, yeah, an astigmat. But That's I like why. it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, So you are seeing a double image, but it's just real, real, real close together. Yeah, not as close as I wish it was. <laughs> and that's on brand new, non-expired film, yep. but it looks like... It looks yeah. a little weird. It looks very yeah. 30s. So if you're looking for some period correct a really, images. A really, try, try that with like Ektar 100, a really saturated film when it meets that those kind of soft lenses. It also yeah. has that like early Kodachrome kind of look. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kinda, yeah. yeah. It's Maybe great. That's cool. I don't even know how you would do that in Photoshop. So there you go. If you want that look, you got to um, do it for real. I just want everyone to know that John Fidelli is going to be leaving the building. <gasps> Oh, I don't? Why not? We just no, going to leave? make an announcement. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you have the floor. Make your announcement. Uh, I am going to leave now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Do you want to save some, say some stuff into the mic that I can cut in later? Get out of here. You're kidding. <laughs> Holy smokes. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, that's it? That's all typical Wait, stuff. Where are you going, John? Pick up my kids, go to Taekwondo. Wow. God, He's got a Taekwondo. <laughs> yes, he does. What? Do you sit in? He almost left his phone here. Yeah. No, he wouldn't. Have. Uh, yeah, do you, do you sit in the car him. while the kids are in Taekwondo? Uh, no, it's Thursdays I go in and watch. That was John Fidelli leaving the building. The sugar just left the building and yes. the caffeine. Now Mark's gonna Mark D will be well behaved the rest of the show. <laughs> I'd like to thank you all for joining us today on the FPP podcast. <laughs> I think so, I'm gonna go to now. It's no fun. So what about the the Besser? <laughs> That's it. That's I. I don't really have anything else to say about it. Now I, you, you I, are you're correct. The images I just looked at on Flickr look like negatives I could have scanned for a customer that they found in an envelope from the 30s. Yeah, exactly. It has this and I shot it a week ago film. on brand new fresh film, but it just has a very fresh odd film. look what to it. That? What is this concept? Uh, are Are you motivated to shoot with it again or not really? Because it gives kind of a mm, nah. Okay. Unless I needed that look for a certain thing. If I was doing shots for a, a play or something, someone needed pictures or something. That, I, I kind of feel like prop. you could get good mileage out of that at that like gentleman's race. Mm-hmm. Like you shoot a bunch of pictures there. You know, I've got a few 4x5s I want to shoot there at the yeah, race of gentlemen. Like, yeah, just some uh, anything with like period clothing and like, yeah. really just put it back in that. The Voigtlander Besses, they were, as you said, they were produced for a long time. There's some really good models in there. They yeah. were highly desirable because they have... Wider aperture lenses. And, and I think, more. yeah, I think they go down to like 3.5 for some yeah, of them. Yeah, they, they put some Huge. big ones on there. Yeah. yeah. And they go for a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah. Mail's in. Hey, I'm going to zip through this really quick. It's a blog post that's actually on filmphotographyproject.com. And I wanted to read it because I, I found it very inspirational. It's from, uh, I call him Professor. He's probably known as a teacher. Professor Ryan Alhambra High School in <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. I'll just read this. This is a, a, a kind of a memo here, a blog he wrote. He says, it's easy to vilify the decision to end a darkroom program in a high school. Working with students in a darkroom setting is messy and fraught with challenges that are just not there with digital program. Actually, this is what happened to the traditional program at the school where I teach. In 1999, one of my predecessors decided that he had enough of hypo and paper and silver recovery. He wanted to teach digital photo class. The darkroom was closed and the space was remodeled into student restrooms. Schools across the district closed darkrooms. 
Often the people in power were under the impression that the chemistry was harmful and they feared the liability. Mm -hmm. The real reason? Traditional photo was considered the past and digital was the way and the light. Alhambra High School in Phoenix is a large urban inner city school. I have been the photo teacher for two years after taking over for the retiring digital photo teacher. When I walked into the room, I was greeted by a program that was languishing. Students were not eager to take digital photo classes. The reasons were many, but I was determined to reinvigorate the digital program and create a new excitement over traditional photographic processes. Why? It had to do with a closet. It's actually larger than a closet. All told, it's 10 by 22 feet and has a sink. Why would a closet have a sink? Great question. No one knew the answer, but I did. At least I knew an answer. It would become our new darkroom. And there were some real hurdles. First, I didn't have enlargers, cameras, students, or any sort of budget. Second, I was doing all this under the radar. I didn't know if it would be supported. I started with what I had at home. Three Canon AE-1s. Yes. An Omega D3 and a host of darkroom accessories. It wasn't much of a darkroom. I called it my ersatz darkroom, but there was a real excitement event on the horizon. One of our sister schools was consolidating two darkrooms, and I convinced that photo teacher to surplus some enlarges to our campus. Enlarges are expensive, and I would have never been able to convince anyone to buy them. Instead, getting surplus from another campus made us one step closer to getting this darkroom into reality. I moved tables, painted walls, cleaned out everything I could to make enough room for these enlargers. In the end, I had a very serviceable teaching darkroom. It was cozy, but big enough that you wouldn't bump too many elbows. Everything is scavenged from other schools, and I would love to have built-in cabinets with storage for students to work and paper, but that can come later. We don't have a darkroom door or a light maze. I heard some people have used weighted curtains with deep overlap. In essence, you slide between the sheets of black fabric into the darkroom. And there was one problem, cameras. I had three. We needed more. I also had to keep in mind that I would not have enough cameras for a two-to-one ratio. Even in my digital photo class, I cannot check out a camera to every student. The cost is too high and I would be forever keeping track of cameras and equipment. At other schools, it is very common for students to take photo classes and use their own cameras, but parents in our attendance zone do not have the income to buy a camera. Maybe 10 years ago, you could find a nice little film camera at Goodwill, but even the used camera market has become too expensive for schools to justify replacing worn-out ones. For example, the Pentax K1000, classic camera that has become so popular with the revival of film cameras that schools cannot replace their aging and worn collection. For this photo class, I didn't want vintage cameras like my AE-1s. They were good cameras, but vintage camera is basically a repair waiting to happen. I needed something with a good meter and was new enough to have some life left in it. That's where Mike and the FPP stepped in. Yeah. Yeah. He had cameras for my students. To be precise, he had 10 beautiful newish Nikon film cameras. I'm sure, Mark O'Brien, yes. I'm sure you went through those yeah, for the school. Film connoisseurs would turn their noses up, for they are not fashionable or rare. He oh, says, sure. so that's where we are now. The darkroom is running. I have two 
two directed study students working in there as I write this. The quarter ends in a couple of days, and the site administrators are very excited. So that's an update from... Uh, you know what's sort of my, the overall sort of sad thing I hear in that though is he can't afford to buy used K1000s, but 20 or 30 years ago the school spent way, how much was more. a brand new K1000 when sure. they were out? I mean they you know they were spending hundreds and but thousands of dollars. School but administration can't justify that's what I mean. Uh, it's spending now. money on old technology. <laughs> no, right. and they're making the teachers front you know front supplies mm-hmm. and all this. They could buy a dozen used K1000s for the price of one football helmet. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> all right, go. As much as that is, you know, he's had to clutch everything together and make an ersatz darkroom and, and and all that. I'll bet the students are really excited to be shooting film and being able to make their decisions on how they want to do things. It's not being done by a little computer in a and a camera for them. You know what else they like about it? Their parents aren't doing it. That's yeah, right. They're That's rebels. why it's cool now. It's yeah. cool now. Their parents don't understand it. That's yeah. right. From the retail side of things, the most excited folks about film photography right now, average age under 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of them are high school. Most of them are not quite college yet. By the time it's college, oh, that's their that's their gut class. You know, that's the easy class. But for the high school kids, they're really, really excited about it. And I think the other thing is that the, these kids have grown up with so everything being digital and being automated, automated, and there's really no no say in the process. Right? You just point and shoot at something, and you get this magic thing that appears on your screen or your phone or whatever. But now they actually have. This sort of thing that a yes, their parents don't don't do it gives them control over something that they aren't getting with digital means. And so. shooting with your phone, it's like it's like a current, it's like it's a currency. And shooting with your phone, if we say okay, the currency is little rocks. Like I can go out in the street and pick up as many rocks as I have. There's no value to it whatsoever. Whereas shooting with film, there's concentration and skill and developing and there's, there's so much process involved in it that I feel like it's got a lot more value. Yeah, they feel like they've constructed something when they're done. And yeah. you and I think the these analog processes which are making a bigger dent in people's psyche than people might have thought is partly due to these two younger people realizing they can do these things on their own and make something right in front of their very eyes that has it's touch and feel. They could, you know, there's a, there's a concrete thing that they that they they can do. It's pretty cool, Matt, because you see the people come in the store Midwest. Oh yeah, and they're picking, and it's fun. I don't even have to tell them like what's what's new. They're like, hey, do you have the ectochrome? You know, they're, they're asking for stuff. It's great. <laughs> I didn't even think about this. I had two people. I retired from the store last year, so I've been closed for a year, but I still have old cameras and stuff in my shop downtown and i'm there almost every day and this year before christmas i had two parental separate incidents parental type units knock on my door hey are these cameras for sale i want one for in this case both of them were daughters my daughter mm-hmm. which from the looks of them had to be high school age she wants I a t4 I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think about it but that's the first time in a long time I've had anybody want to buy my cameras for other than lamps. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, quick okay. letter? Quick letter? Yeah, quick letter. From Kevin Shanahan. Awesome. I recently purchased a roll of FPP Emulsion X, X and was especially intrigued by the sample photo of Mike showing the possibility of film reticulating. <laughs> 
I'm extremely interested in intentionally (laughs) introducing this effect of my film. No. And, in fact, it's what pushed me over the edge to get a roll of it. I was wondering if you could discuss a little bit on how specifically you can introduce this effect in that sample photo. The linked article on reticulation suggests that it can be uh, introduced by heat. And it goes on and on. Thanks for all you do for this community and for inspiring me to take my photography in different directions and explore the world of weird film cheers kevin shanahan kevin it's going to be really really hard to do on a modern film like t max a t grain film use an older film stock like triax or some of these you're completely uh, emulsion x is gone am i correct or do you still have some at this date of air i don't know it might be a few rolls left okay uh, and, and an older stock an older name a film that's been around a long time easiest way to introduce it the reticulation pattern is temperature difference mm-hmm. keep your fixer really cold keep your developer at your normal your normal 68 degrees and when you run your rinse waters let that just scale up and scale down because it is that's exactly what happens is alternate a, between hot and cold. And alternate between a hot shot. and cold, and, oh. and that's what causes reticulation. So that's what you need to do. I did it by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's the wackiest thing I've ever seen. What's wrong? <laughs> wanting to do that. Like if I see if film comes in for somebody to scan it, and it's like that, I'm like, oh, f. It's impossible. I really think it's impossible to do with color. I don't yeah. know that you can reticulate color. It's it's a black and white thing, mm-hmm. most definitely, and an older stock thing, older traditional emulsion. Back in uh, early December, I stopped in a local thrift store. Thrift, thrift store. Thrift store. Got that at a thrift store? That sounds like a, his own solo YouTube channel, Thrift Star. Thrift, yeah, Star. thrift Star. Yeah. And um, I saw this little blue box and under, in the, under the counter and where they keep the cameras. And I said, can I see that? And, and is it a bag? And I said, oh, I, I think I know what that is. I opened it up. And it was a mint condition, Univex, Universal, Minute 16. Not a minute 16, a Minute 16. And it looks a lot like a little miniature movie camera. Mm-hmm. And Mark D, back in episode whatever, when we were talking about sub-miniatures, I believe, at the time, mm-hmm. he brought in this little Tindar uh, camera. And it looks like a little movie camera, just like this one does. But it... In effect, it's a bad clone of what I have. Unlike a movie camera, it won't take pictures. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I saw it. They had dropped the price from 20 bucks down to 16 I said, uh, I'll, I'll take that. I would so, grab that for that. And it's, and it's uh, really, really pretty cool. Now, what the heck am I talking about? What the hell? There is a camera, a camera company called Univex, Universal Camera, which was based in New York, and it started up back in the uh, back in the 1930s. And they had a bunch of cameras that they produced over the years. They were all on the cheap end of the scale. Kind of, some looked rather rough around the edges. Not the Mercury Two. No, not the Mercury Two. No. All right, just had to say that. Yeah. <laughs> And so, first, let me talk a little bit of the history about the history of Universal Camera. Back in 1991, a book came out, The Univex Story, by Cynthia Rapinski, which is, if you're interested in American camera companies, it's really a, a great, great book to pick up because it's, it's the, uh, all about the rise and fall of so many similar companies. Other similar camera companies had similar fates um, because they weren't able to compete in the ensuing years into the 60s after the World War II. 
But Universal was started in 1932, and it was immediately successful with their first camera, the Univex Model A. Now, you may have seen these. They're made of Bakelite plastic. They're little tiny things. They sold for like 39 cents back in, in the 30s, which was, you know, today we would say that's pretty cheap. You can't even buy a candy bar for 39 cents. But back then it was uh, still pretty inexpensive. And it took their special size 00 film, which was made by Gewehrt in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, but they spooled all that stuff over here in the, in the States, and they had a quite an industry... Um, and they sold millions of those Univex Model A's. They produced six images on a one and a half by one and a half by uh, one eight one and one eight inches um, negative size. So they they were pretty interesting, and they weren't necessarily an outstanding camera, but they sold did sell fifteen million of them. So <laughs> if you see one, people say, "Oh, that's got to be kind of rare or worth something." They're not worth much, a, a couple bucks at most. The film spools were unusual because they had a V-shaped notch on the ends for the spools to fit into the camera, which meant you couldn't just go to Kodak and get something similar. So they had locked it. They had kind of taken the Kodak model of we'll produce the uh, camera and the film, and the film only fits this camera. And they did that with a whole bunch of cameras um, by Universal Camera or Univex. And so you could call it the, the, the razor blade model of camera production. And, of course, after that, that success, they designed quite a few cameras. Uh, the Univex Mercury, which is, looks like a parking meter in my mind oh, yes. when I see one. Uh, they had one that took the Univex film, and they had one that took later on after the war. They converted it to take 35 millimeter. And they were exactly um, poor, poorly designed cameras. They're quite uh, quite unique, and they, a lot of them still work pretty well. So going through the war years, they did a lot of subcontracting, like lots of camera manufacturers did. They produced binoculars under contract for Bosch and Lom. The Mercury II was was their best selling camera um, as a real uh, working camera. They came out with some other ones later on, some TLRs that weren't especially popular. Um, Overall, they were just what we would call them second-tier cameras, and I'm, I'm sure Sam Sherman would probably say, "Yeah, they were second-tier cameras." That's amazing. It's just amazing. <laughs> they started running into trouble with uh, their creditors and so forth. What and, kind of trouble? And they came out with it. Bad trouble. They had this idea of River coming City out trouble. with with a minute 16 as being the camera that would save their company. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Save their keys to camera. <laughs> And so what it is, the Minute 16 takes 16-millimeter film and special cassettes that were designed for this camera, and it's got an actuator arm on the side that, that advances the film, which is pretty cool, and it's got a little film counter in there, and it's got a shutter button on the side. The original one had three uh, F-stops, F6.3, F11, and F16. Um, the later version also has an F8 setting. There's no focus adjustment as it's fixed focus from three feet to infinity. And the little lever not only cocks the shutter, but it advances the film. So it's actually a pretty cool camera. I'll pass it around. You can open up the back. It's it's very shiny, uh, burnished uh, metal. Aluminum, yeah. Probably it's aluminum. It's beautiful looking. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. little thing, yeah. These actually did sell fairly well. The problem was they also a lot also got sent in for repairs. Yes. I may have missed this. 
Uh, it takes standard 16 millimeter film? 16 millimeter film, but it's a special cassette that they designed for it. But can you reload the cassette? Or you, have you, to... you could reload it if you had one. Do you yeah. have one? No, I don't. Oh, that's what I want. <laughs> so if someone's got a cassette that's why, for That's why he's doing the review. Yeah, send me one. one. Yeah. Apparently they're hard to find. Yeah. But if you but you can look inside to the controls and see how things work. It's pretty cool. I have retrochrome in 16 millimeter. Oh, yeah? It doesn't matter. I don't have a cassette for it. You can jam one frame in there. Um, so it's a really cool little camera. I'll pass it around. It's got some heft to it. It's got a tripod socket on it. Sort of getting on the spy camera craze at a time when everyone else was sort of dropping out of the spy camera craze. And then later on, people came out with much better cameras like the Minolta 16mm. And, of course, there was always a Minox, which is sub-sub, which is really much smaller in size. The thing is... They glommed onto a product that had limited appeal, and they, it was really not going to save the company. And although they, when they um, finally died in about 1966, you know, all that stuff went to a where to some place in New York City, and they sold all that stuff out that they had remaining, and all the parts and everything. So, but if you see one in the store, it looks like a little, it looks like a little tiny movie camera, but it's not. It's a still camera. It's the uh, Univex Minute 16, and if you see its poor, poorly designed cousin, the Tindar, you could have them side by side and see that Tindar weighs about half of what that weighs. Yeah, like. the Tindar is like die cast. This looks like it's properly machined. Yeah. And Mark D, you had poor experience with the Tindar. Yeah, mine barely worked. It only would fire correctly about half the time, so it's completely unreliable. Sorry, Tindar just sounds like... Like a shitty Tinder Tinder knockoff. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tinder the barbarian. Like you have to use a Rolodex instead of your phone <laughs> to find it somebody. Came with, it came with the original um, it's how to use Unipan film. Uh, the film sheet, fact sheet with it. It came with a special offer, a minute 16 carry case for 50 cents. Well, That's all I have to say about it. Thank you, Mark. Earlier in the show, we mentioned price reductions on Brownie movie cameras. That covers the Brownie turret cameras, too. And now here's Ozzy to show you how they work. Well, here's the Brownie turret I use, and I can get three different kinds of movie shots with it. One lens gives you big telephoto close-ups. This is for your medium shots. And when you want a beautiful wide-angle shot, use this lens. Now watch. This is my wide-angle shot. Kids are pretty good, aren't they? Now I turn the turret, and here's my medium shot. Another turn, and here's my close-up. And I didn't have to move a step. See, what could be easier? Thank you, Ozzy. Now, about those prices. Now you can get a brand new Brownie turret movie camera for just $59.50, or as little as $6 down. That's right, for just $6 down, you can make home movies with a real professional touch. So, see your Kodak dealer this week. Now, we're going to talk about, for all you fans of uh, mid-20th century pop culture, the solar swivel versus the bedrock twist. I'm not sure if this has anything to do with film photography, does it? Oh, of course it does. Oh, okay. And? The Jetsons. Oh, the Jetsons. Oh. Was it? There's a town I know where the cool cats go called Bedrock. 
Uh, I, I, all, I, all I know is the Jet Screamer songs. From I remember oh, that so episode. You, you, yeah. So you know the Flintstones. I remember that yeah. episode, yeah. The guy eats yes. eggs and has an allergic reaction, so Fred has to So Fred has to go, go on. Yes. I remember. Take it away, Leslie. Great. There's been this internet conversation, you know, the keyboard commandos have been going on about how you agitate your film during processing. It's almost like the the stop bath water thing, you know, I do it this way, it's got to be right, I do it this way, it's got to be right. But whether you're doing the swizzle, the twizzle, the swivel, or inverting. I do a waggle. Do you? <laughs> I don't even know how to do that. Film has to have agitation during processing. Flat out, that's what it is. Now, I'm going to talk about tank processing rather than tank rotary or tray processing. Those all still have to be agitated, but they have their own method. Technically, film's made up of little silver bits embedded in a gelatin base. And if you look at gelatin, highly magnified, it looks like spaghetti with the little silver bits hanging around in it. So agitation is necessary for two means. Getting the chemicals to swirl in around those pieces of spaghetti and getting that spaghetti to swell with the chemistry. I know what you're saying right now is, I don't give a crap about all this. I just want to know the best way to agitate my film. Get to the finish. Get to the point. Do it. And probably our most popular method of film developing is with a plastic tank, plastic reel, Probably a Patterson type or a Patterson knockoff. Uh, the other options are stainless steel. They use inversion. They never use the swivel, the swizzle, or the twizzle. Ah, swizzle sticks. Yes. And Jobos use a rotary system. Patterson tank, though, when you get a new Patterson tank or some of these other, as I call them, Patterson knockoff tanks, come with a lid and come with a swizzle stick. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, this has nothing to do with the Flintstones? <laughs> or the Jetsons. Oh. Unless we all sing eek, ah, or ah, ah, when we're done. Okay. Okay. I knew you'd do I knew you would. <laughs> Normally, I invert, which means putting that lid on the ta- tank, make sure that it's sealed, and you flip the whole thing over gently so many times, so many revolutions at a certain time each time throughout your development process. So the lid, obviously, is for inversion because you don't want to flip it over and have all your chemistry come out. And the stick is for the swizzle. You fine-tune both of these methods. Some people invert five times every 30, every 30 seconds. Yep, twice a minute. People have the sweats over that. Like, oh, should, should, should be Four should be five. I think it takes a little bit more sweats for T-Max. I always, I always really, uh, now I'm sidebarring here. But I always had a list in the dark room. If Professor Jeff brought me film to hand process, his was four inversions at the top and five at the bottom. That's how tight T Max can be. If I did five and five, the film was just a little too over processed. Yeah, it wasn't right. So yeah. it, it I, I does. I fully appreciate people who can tell the difference and who. I, that's totally not the way I do it. Um, just so people, people, if people do stress over it. There's always guys like Mark who are just like, eh. <laughs> oh, shoot, Whatever. I haven't agitated for a couple of minutes. I better go in and oh, spin it around. Got to go check my film. And it kind of works. But, uh, the pizza's I, I'm done or the film, I'm not sure which. I'm completely impressed by people who are that precise. Well, at that point, it was commercial, so it wasn't just for right. me. So, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And I think once you do fine-tune that, we're going to go back to uh, that is a gentle inversion. So You're not making a martini and shaking the crap out of this. 
But once you fine tune it, you may also find something I talked about a few episodes ago, consistency, and you may find that you're shooting at box speed again. Mm-hmm. Box speed really is there for a reason, but people, you know, they just love it. It's I not an arbitrary number. I yeah. don't, right, I don't shoot at box speed. Well, might be a reason for that. But there are times when I swizzle. And if you would remember, and of course you don't, no one but Joseph Runges remembers episode 194 in particular. When you say the, swizzle, you mean... You, you, put the, you put the stick in, and you go in a back-and-forth motion. Well, you can actually even just go in Spend one around. direction. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. They make, I've never, I don't have any of those for my Patterson tanks. I didn't realize that was even a they, thing. They came with them, but if you got oh. your tanks used, yeah, mine are all they used, used don't come with then them. they lost yeah. them. No, I didn't realize that there was even yep. an option. They're, they're notched on one end, so they fit yeah. down and, and then... I could probably make some out of drumsticks or something. You absolutely could. Yeah. I've used alternatives when I couldn't find the swizzler. Yeah. There are times when I do use the swizzle with my Patterson, and one time is when I use color processing or C41 because the gas builds up in the tank if you have the lid on it during the blick oh, stage. Yeah. And if you remember in episode 194, we had the doctor is in segment with mm-hmm. the guy that had the exploding blicks in his darkroom. And his solution was, and it would be yours, Mark, too, that if you don't have the swizzle stick, you have to... Burp your tank. What? Burp the baby. <laughs> you got to burp the baby <laughs> because the gas builds up. <laughs> and gas will build up in color, but it can if it's also freshly mixed black and white. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to watch that. That lid starts to bulge. Burp that tank. <laughs> if you just don't even want to think about it and you have the swizzle stick, just swizzle. It's about the same thing. You're going to swizzle for five seconds gently every 30 seconds. So the way I do it, I use my Patterson, but I don't actually put the lid on. Every every thirty seconds, you swirl. What do you call that? Swirling. That's a, swirl? That's a and swirling. And then thirty seconds, I'll go the opposite way. Every I alternate. That's really kind of a modified swizzle. Okay. A swirl's a modified swizzle. Swirl. All right, gotcha. Uh huh. Just want to make sure I got the technical term down. Absolutely. I'm talking to the boys down at the film lab. Exactly. I need a swirl, gently swirl. Give me, give me a clockwise swirl. Clockwise swirl with an olive. <laughs> so the uh, I do it for color because of the gas buildup issue. Mm-hmm. I also do it because you've heard me talk about diaphine developer. And that is a two-part developer. It requires that part of A stay on the film for a while when you put in part B. It's a two-part developer. You can't have it rinsed off right away with very aggressive agitation. Inversions going to get going to get rid of uh, your developer too quick. So I definitely do the swivel when I do diaphine developer. Okay. Swizzling's uh little harder too to over agitate yeah it really is you really have to be cranking it if you over process your film and not over expose your film but over develop your film you show it to me i can almost tell you for sure whether you're a swizzler or an inverter (laughs) hard to wake this show up (laughs) they wreck your film in two different ways oh yeah. Interesting. You can under you can under agitate, but that's rare. Maybe Mark because he gets up and leaves the room. Is that true? Do you go watch TV and then no. come back? Sometimes I'll yeah I'll, I'll get distracted. Okay. Eat a bowl of cereal and be like, oh, it's been three minutes. <laughs> Got to go swivel, swirl. No, you swirl, swirl. swirl. Got to go swirler. So the the answer way back at the beginning, which which is best? Most of the time, it's personal. There again, be consistent, be gentle, and don't be concerned or afraid if you have to change up because you're thinking. I want to do color. It's freshly mixed. Leslie says it's going to explode all over my kitchen, and I don't want to get it on my... She said, don't get chemicals on your heat helper, and I... Don't worry about it. Just do it. Do it. You can do it. 
You can do it! You can do it! You can do it! So the surge marks you get at the sprocket holes, that's from over. Yes. That's from shaking, like that's going too heavy. Exactly. Yeah. It's hanging. And I can tell that that's not, really not a true stick developing. You get those surge marks that hang up in the um, sprockets and run down. Mm-hmm. That's from pretty heavy agitation. And a lot of times it's from inversion. A lot of movement through there. So yeah. I would be wrong with you that's because from a you're... Shaker. Yeah. Well, I don't get them. I mean, I, so, oh, okay. but I've seen it. Yeah. Is it true that if you're an aggressive swizzle sticker user? Yes. Like if you're so aggressive. Yes. Can you basically make that your sous vide because you're so aggressively swiveling it that it heats up the water? <laughs> wow, man. I'd get an arm cramp if that happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. This whole time I'm working on this episode, all I can hear in my head is Jet Screamer and the Jetsons episode, and he's doing everybody's doing the solar swivel to eke up or ah-ah. That means I love you. Come fly with me. Up high with me. Come on, fly with me. Eat up or up. I love you. Is it true that the Baby, baby, baby. Ah, ah, ah. Is it true that the episode is almost identical to the Flintstones episode? I don't think it is at all. I've never, I have not been able to view the whole, just because they didn't look it up. Uh, Flintstones episode. I was much more of a Jetsons kid rather than a Flintstone kid growing up anyway. Hmm. So okay. Typical. It makes Typical. sense. Both my moms like the Jetsons, especially that, that right? episode. It's my mom's favorite episode. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. This is where, see, it's kind of a, maybe a knockoff one or the other. Something happened to Jet Screamer's drummer, and George had to go on and drum for him, and he was like really nervous, and they put a mic in front of his face, and they said, how do you feel? And he goes, I feel I feel, I feel. And then they whip the mic out, and then he really gets rocking at it, and he ends up loving it, and Jet Screamer loves him, and everything just turns out fine. And Judy's still in love with Jet Screamer and her dad. And there you go. And that's, that, uh, the, that's the solar swivel versus the bedrock twist. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. This has been a... Exciting episode. Rockin' and rolling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rockin' and rolling with the Flintstones and the Jetsons. And uh, baby, baby, we'll be back baby. in two weeks. Now, does, is uh, is uh, Mr. Jetson on the drums? No, no. That's this. No, that's that's Flintstones. Flintstones. Oh. Fred and how's Fred getting Fred involved? accidentally poisons the... Like, he's basically <laughs> Elvis. Oh, my God. So he goes out and lip syncs to a record. He puts a wig on. And yes. And he pretends to be the guy. So it's actually Fred on stage. Because uh, he gets sick. Yeah. They take the toucan and put it down on the record. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> so what do you think? It's of- a living. Jet screamer. Now, where's Fred singing? This is a solar swivel. Oh, look at that. There he is. There he goes. He's out on drums. I'm going to have this. I do. Looks like 1963. <laughs> Which is interesting. John, I'm going to get John to learn that solo. Because oh, it's God. pre-Beatles. Holy he's shit. Just, he's sitting inside one giant <laughs> drum. Ginger Baker. You see that documentary yet? No. Gotta see it. Wow, this is outside. Or ah ah e ah or ah. You have this when you're on a on a stick and you'll squirt your car? No. None of my cars have sticks. Okay, very good. 
<laughs> hey, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, you could write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Please visit our uh, social media. Uh, if you haven't liked our Facebook page, please like our Facebook page. We're on the Flickr. Is anybody on the Flickr? We're on the Flickr. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And we'll see you I in two weeks. I Solo? Who? Who, me? Alone? Sure, you. You can do it. Go get him, Dad. Zoom, Dad. Zoom. <laughs> <laughs>